Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the episode for June 29th through July 5th, Alma 23rd through 29th, They Never Did Fall Away. And we're going to be talking about kind of wrapping up Ammon and Alma's missionary experiences today and talking about what happened to the people that they taught um, and just talking about how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes us and how to hold on to that gospel and changes us into new creatures so that we never do fall away. Like, you know, the title of the episode or I guess the title of the assignment Come Follow Me is. So let's start out with the introduction in Come Follow Me. It says, do you sometimes wonder whether people can really change? Maybe you worry about whether you can overcome poor choices you've made or bad habits you've developed, or you may have similar worries about loved ones. Okay, as I was reading this, um, it really rang true to me. Addiction is something that runs pretty heavily in my family on both sides. Um, You know, we have a long line of alcoholics in our family. And even within my own nuclear family, like with my sisters and my brother and I, like I see evidences of addiction in each one of our lives, even though maybe we may not have like a word of wisdom you know, addiction, but I see still like addictive behaviors. For me, I can tell you personally, it's sugar. Like I am totally addicted to sugar, Um, really, really hard addicted to sugar and carbs. And so I see that kind of like addictive personality, you know, in, in my family members. And so as I'm reading this, where it's, do you wonder sometimes whether people can change? Can we overcome poor choices we made or bad habits, bad addictions that we've developed, you know, and similar worries that you have about loved ones? And it says, in Come Follow Me, if so, the story of the anti-Nephi-Lehites can help you. These people were the sworn enemies of the Nephites. When Ammon and his brethren decided to preach the gospel to them, the Nephites laughed them to scorn. Killing the Lamanites seemed like a more plausible solution than converting them. Okay, going back to my little example. So when I think about quitting sugar or, you know, just stopping to eat, like not eating sugar at all, like I laugh that idea to scorn a lot of times. I'm like, I have tried so many times in my life to quit sugar and now I'm going to try again. Like really? So I I feel, I feel like what they're, (laughs) what they're talking about. Like someone's telling me to quit sugar. Like, no way. I'm going to laugh you to scorn, right? But the Lamanites did change through the converting power of the Lord, where once they were known as a hardened and ferocious people, they became distinguished for their zeal towards God. In fact, they never did fall away. Maybe you have false traditions to abandon or weapons of rebellion to lay down. Or maybe you just need to be a little more zealous in your testimony and a little less prone to falling away. No matter what changes you need, Alma 23 through 29 can help give you hope that, 
through the atoning power of Christ, long-lasting change is possible. And so that's something that I saw this week. I was like, you know, sugar, no sugar, that's not necessarily like an eternal principle of the gospel or anything like that. But I do believe that Heavenly Father wants us to be healthy. So I'm like, maybe I just need to look to him and have him help support me in my like anti-sugar campaign. I don't know. So that's just something that was kind of in my mind as I was reading that introduction. Um, I think on a spiritual level, though, that there are things that we are addicted to. You know, we all have our favorite sins. And one of the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about last week in the Lamoni story is, you know, King Lamoni saying, I would give up all my sins to know God. And think of all your sins. What are your favorite sins? Like, what are the sins that you commit over and over and over again? Not necessarily because you like it, but because those are the habits that are just really hard for you to break. You know, I've talked before where mine is totally, I'm judgy. Um, I have a really bad issue with gossip because I like to know everything and I want to know everything about everybody. I'm really incredibly impatient. And a lot of times I'm insecure and that makes me snappy and kind of react in bad ways sometimes to different stuff. So those are some of the things that I'm working on. Some of the weapons of rebellion that I need to lay down um, are just, those are some of the weapons that I was looking at this week. And give me hope that through the atoning power of Jesus Christ, that long-lasting change and remission from those addictions to those sins is possible. All right, continuing with Come Follow Me, the first section says, when God's children accept the gospel, great blessings follow. When the king of the Lamanites declared that the word of God should have no obstruction among his people, he opened the doors to great blessings for them. As you read through Alma 23 to 29, look for those blessings. How can you ensure that the word of God has no obstruction in your life or in your family? Okay, so as I went through, I started looking at for some of the blessings. And so here's just kind of a little list and the scriptures that kind of stood out to me as like blessings that I saw in these particular chapters. Okay, the first one I saw was the removal of the curse, the curse that had been placed on the Lamanites. And so just a reminder, like a rewind, um, the curse that we found in 2 Nephi 5.20 says, Wherefore... The word of the Lord was fulfilled, which he spake, saying that inasmuch as they will not hearken unto the words, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And behold, they were cut off from his presence. So the lack of having the presence of the Lord in your life was the curse that the Lamanites had to undergo. Um, Because of the way that they behaved, because of what they believed, that was the curse that they had. And then we see, you know, as we have been reading along in the Book of Mormon, continuing on in 2 Nephi, in chapter 30, verse 5, we see a prophecy where he talks about that curse being removed. And he says, and the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be declared among them, the Lamanites, wherefore they shall be restored unto the knowledge of their fathers and also to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which was had among their fathers. And then they shall rejoice for they shall know that it is a blessing unto them from the hand of God. And their scales of darkness shall begin to fall from their eyes, and many generations shall not pass away among them, save they shall be a pure and delightsome people. Okay, so that was Nephi's prophecy about the Lamanites. So what we see this week in our reading, one of the blessings that we see is that that curse is removed, that this prophecy of Nephi is actually fulfilled. And we see that in lots of different ways this week. You know how the anti-Nephi-Lehi's definitely had the presence of the Lord with them. But it is specifically spelled out, that blessing is spelled out in Alma 23, verse 18. And it says, And they began to be a very industrious people, yea, and they were friendly with the Nephites. Therefore, they did open a correspondence with them, and the curse of God 
did no more follow them. So we see that the curse was then removed. They had the presence of the Lord in their life. And that is a huge blessing to anyone who's ever lived their life in a way where they didn't have the presence of the Lord in their life. To feel that light come back into your life, huge blessing. So that was the first major blessing that I saw in this week's reading. The second one, and this is kind of part of that, of having the presence of the Lord back in your life, but they are blessed to know the goodness and mercy of God, the plan of salvation, and even angels visit them. We see this in Alma 24, 14, where it says, And the great God has had mercy on us and has made these things known unto us that we might not perish. Yea, and he has made these things known unto us beforehand because he loveth our souls as well as he loveth our children. Therefore, in his mercy... He doth visit us by his angels, and the plan of salvation might be made known unto us as well as unto future generations. They were doing so well that angels were among them. Angels were visiting them. Like, that's so cool. And then they go on to praise God for this in 15. Oh, how merciful is our God. And now behold, since it has been as much as we could do to get our stains taken away from us and our swords made bright, Let us hide them away that they may be kept bright as a testimony to our God at the last day or at the day where we shall be brought to stand before him to be judged that we have not stained our swords in the blood of our brethren since he imparted his word unto us and has made us clean thereby. So they have the presence of the Lord. They have angels in there. They see the beautiful mercy of God and they can come up with a way to keep that presence of the Lord with them by burying those sins and keeping them away from them. All right. Another blessing that I saw in this week's chapter reading, and this is kind of interesting to me. I don't know of anywhere else really that I've ever seen it quite spelled out this implicitly. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the Abinadi episode, but one of the blessings that I see is that they understood the true reason for the law of Moses. And we see this in Alma twenty five fifteen. Yea, and they did keep the law of Moses, for it was expedient that they should keep the law of Moses as yet, for it was not all fulfilled. But when notwithstanding the law of Moses, they did look forward to the coming of Christ, considering that the law of Moses was a type of his coming, and believing that they must keep those outward performances until the time that he should be revealed unto them. Now they did not suppose that salvation came by the law of Moses, but the law of Moses did serve to strengthen their faith in Christ, and thus they did retain a hope through faith unto eternal salvation, relying upon the spirit of prophecy which spake of those things to come. So to me, that's a huge blessing to know what the ends of the law of Moses were. They weren't just blindly following the law of Moses like we see a lot of the Pharisees were in Jesus's time where they were just following blindly, but they were following because I guess they didn't see the purpose behind them. They made all these crazy purposes behind them, like, I'm a good person if I do these things. And they missed, like, the whole point of the whole thing was to prepare them for Christ's coming. Whereas these people, because they've got the presence of the Lord in their life, because they are listening to the doctrine of Christ, they understood the true reason for the law of Moses. And when we look at things like the commandments, or we look at things like the covenants of our, that we've made with our Heavenly Father, our baptismal covenants, we can see that, yeah, there are things that we need to follow, but the real reason we need to follow him is not just because he's told us to, or not just because, you know, that's something we're supposed to do. We do what we're supposed to, but because they bring us closer to Christ. And the people realize this. And I think that there is a whole other level of obedience 
when you realize like that's what this covenant is for, that's what this commandment is for, is to bring me closer to my heavenly father. And so when you realize that, you're able to be obedient on a whole new level. And that level of obedience takes on a whole like sweeter tone. You know, you're not just doing something, I just have to do it because my mom told me to. You know, no, you're doing it because you want to, because you love God and because you want to be closer to him. And that's a huge blessing in and of itself too, I see. Another blessing, and they've already talked about this a little bit, but they were redeemed from their sins. The mercy of God was applied in their life. We see this in Alma 26, 14. Yea, we have reason to praise him forever, for he is the most high God, and he has loosed our brethren from the chains of hell. Yea, they were encircled about with everlasting darkness and destruction. But behold, he has brought them into his everlasting light. Yea, into everlasting salvation. And they are encircled about with the matchless bounty of his love. Yea, and we have been instruments in his hand of doing this great and marvelous work. Okay, I love the idea of being brought into his everlasting light. And you know, that's something I think that May, you know, I think we get glimpses of it here in this, this world and in this life, but I cannot even wait to beyond this life to see, you know, once that veil is removed and we're no longer in this, you know, state that we're in, this world that we're in, to be surrounded in his everlasting light. I mean, what a beautiful place and state of being that must be. So, I thought I saw that, that they had that hope that they were loosed from the chains of hell and they they had that everlasting light, you know, in their lives. Another big blessing I see, and this one was interesting to me, um, you know, the Nephites and Lamanites, obviously we know their history that they kind of, you know, not knock heads with each other, right? They They don't get along. But in Alma 27, we see the Nephites forgive this little group of Lamanites that has been converted. They forgive them. And they gave them land, and they even protected them. Now, this was a group that had literally been fighting and trying to kill them. Could have even been months before. But now they've been converted, right? And in Alma 27, 22, it says, And it came to pass that the voice of the people, the Nephites, came, saying, Behold, we will give up the land of Jershon, which is east by the sea, which joins the land of Bountiful, which is on the south of the land Bountiful. And this land, Jershon, is the land which we will give unto our brethren for an inheritance. And behold, we will set our armies between the land Jershon and the land Nephi, that we may protect our brethren in the land Jershon. And this we do for our brethren, on account of their fear to take up arms against their brethren, lest they should commit sin. For this their great fear came because of their sore repentance which they had had, on account of their many murders and their awful wickedness. And so those many murders and the awful wickedness, which had been targeted on the Nephites, you know, even years, months previous to the situation, the Nephites then turned around and looked at this little ragtag group of people, these converts, and said, hey, we recognize that your repentance is true and your contrition of heart is true. You really, truly have come to Christ and you are new changed beings in Christ and we want to help you keep that. We want you to help stay away from those bad habits that you formed previously. Like, I would see this as almost someone coming back and being like, hey, I have an addiction, maybe to alcohol, right? And they say, hey, I've got an addiction to alcohol, but I need to do this thing, or I have to go like pick up somebody from a bar, and it's going to be really hard for me. And someone else stepping up and saying, you know what, I understand that this would be really hard for you, so I'm going to go ahead and pick this person up from the bar for you so that you don't have to be in that environment anymore. 
And what makes it even greater is that these were the ones that they'd been fighting against. But they said, hey, we forgive you. And in fact, no, not only will we forgive you, but we will protect you with our lives because we believe in what you are doing. Like that support to me is a huge blessing for this little group of Lamanites. So I don't know. I saw like all kinds of just really interesting blessings because when I went in to read this week, I I expected there to be the blessing of like, oh, you know, you've been forgiven of our sins and now, you know, we can be with our heavenly father again. Like I expected that to be the blessing and it was. I mean, that's a huge blessing. That's not to say that that is the least blessing or it's just the most common one that I would think of. But as I went in and I started reading, I saw all these other little blessings and not even little. Some of them are pretty big. Like understanding the law of Moses, I think, is a pretty big blessing. Um, and the ways that the Lord kind of took care of them because of this commitment that they had made. Now, Come Follow Me asks, how can you ensure that the word of God has no obstruction in your life or in your family? Um, one of the things I was thinking about this week is what are my weapons of war that I can bury? You know, what are the things I can come unto Christ and to my Heavenly Father and say, hey, I want to be near you so much that I'm willing to put this away and, you know, bury it, basically. And it was hard to really think of that. In fact, I ended up saying a prayer to my Heavenly Father, um, you know, We've talked about in other Come Follow Me episodes where we ask the question, Heavenly Father, what lack I yet? What do I need to change? And so it was kind of a similar prayer. It's like, Heavenly Father, what would you have me bury um, to come closer to you? And the answer was so interesting. I thought for sure it was going to be something like, oh, maybe I need to watch a little bit cleaner TV or maybe I need to watch what I listen to or, you know, find the spirit, read more scriptures. I don't know. I thought it was going to be something like that. But the answer that I got, the thing that I need to bury is doubt, doubt and fear. Um, I need to bury those so that my faith in my heavenly father can be strengthened. Um, what? Um, astonishing and life-changing principle that is. Um, I really started thinking about it. I'm like, doubt and fear in my life are probably the biggest weapons against my testimony. And I didn't even realize that I was still wielding them. And so being able to put those doubts and those fears at rest under the ground, burying those doubts and fears and trusting in my father and having faith in my father and in the spiritual experiences that I've had and in the testimony and the confirming witnesses that I've had, bearing those weapons of doubt and fear and believing in him and trusting in him is one of the ways that I see myself coming closer to him. So this week, my goal is to bury my doubt and fear and instead to trust in him, have faith in him, and trust that he's going to lead me to where I need to go. So that was what I saw with that particular exercise that we had in Come Follow Me. The next section says, my conversion to Jesus Christ and his gospel changes my life. And it does. It changes everybody's life. All right. So the first paragraph says, the Lamanites who are visited by Ammon and his brethren seem to be unlikely candidates for conversion. They were trapped by the traditions of their fathers and their own wickedness. Yet many of them accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ and made fundamental changes in their lives. As a symbol of their own conversion, these Lamanites called themselves anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And in parentheses it says, the meaning of anti in this case is not the same as anti in anti-Christ. Okay, so I want to talk about that real quick. Pause, right? Okay, so... 
I have thought a lot about this. I'm like, why would they be the anti-Nephi Lehi's? Like, why would they be like against something? Because that's usually what anti means. It means it's against something. It's opposite of that. But then I thought, what if instead of A-N-T-I, we were to take the meaning from A-N-T-E, which is kind of like a small addition to, like if you have an anteroom or an antechamber, it's a small addition to a larger chamber or a larger room. Like to me, that makes much more sense. If they were the anti, instead of like anti, anti Nephi Lehi's, that would make them a small group in addition to a larger group. So to me, that's how I, you know, I put it all together in my head. That's gospel according to Lexi. That's not doctrine, by the way. That's just something that how I've reasoned it out in my head because then their name makes sense. Like we are a small group added on to the Nephites and the, you know, the ones who came from Nephi and Lehi. Okay. That's just what I think. All right. So if, going back to come follow me now. Reflecting on the conversion of these Lamanites might prompt you to ponder your own conversion unto the Lord. One way to study these chapters could be to identify how the conversion of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's changed their lives. The following verses can get you started. As you ponder the changes in the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, consider how your own conversion in Christ is changing you. What do you feel you still need to change so that the gospel can have greater power in your life? Well, you know, I've already answered that doubt and fear. I need to cast that aside and trust my Heavenly Father implicitly. And I've always felt like I did do a good job of that, but I can always work on that. I can always be better. And it's something that I guess I just hadn't identified before. You know, it's easy for me to identify that I'm impatient and I'm judgy and, you know, that I'm hard on myself sometimes. But like the doubt and the fear thing wasn't something that I had readily identified. But once I had, you know, Heavenly Father had said, hey, this is what you need to work on. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, I really do need to work on that. So that's one of the things I think I need to change. But let's go into the study from this week, the assignment from this week, and study these chapters to identify how the conversion of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's changed their lives. And it gives us like little snippets of scripture for us to go in and kind of take a look at. So the first little snippet is Alma 23, 6 through 7. It says, And as sure as the Lord liveth, so sure as many as believed, or as many as were brought to the knowledge of the truth, through the preaching of Ammon and his brethren, according to the spirit of revelation and of prophecy, and the power of God working miracles in them. Yea, I say unto you, as the Lord liveth, as many of the Lamanites as believed in their preaching were converted unto the Lord, and they never did fall away. For they became a righteous people, they did lay down their weapons of rebellion, and they did not fight against God any more, neither against any of their brethren. Okay, so the thing that comes to me there is, obviously, first thing is that they put down their weapons of rebellion. And it was interesting to me that when they put those weapons of rebellion down, that they didn't fight against God anymore. And then also says, kind of as an aside, neither did they fight against their brethren. And when I look at those weapons of rebellion, like, you know, the swords and stuff like that, I would totally associate those with fighting with their brethren, like the wars and the wickedness and stuff that they had. But it looks like they did not fight against their God was the most important thing. So finding those weapons of rebellion in our own life and putting those down and not fighting against God is one of the most important things I think we can do. I also noticed in 6 where it said... The Lamanites has believed in their preaching and were converted unto the Lord, never did fall away. So being so converted unto the Lord that we don't fall away. And 
I don't think that that's necessarily something that happens at one moment in time. I feel like we need to constantly be working on our conversion. And as we do that, as we hold on to the Lord, then we're not going to fall away, you know? So those were two things that I saw in those verses. The next little snippet it has us look at is, and we've already read this one, but it's Alma 23, 17 through 18. And I chose to focus specifically on 18. And it says, and they began to be a very industrious people, yea, and they were friendly with the Nephites. Therefore, they did open a correspondence with them, and the curse of God did no more follow them. We read that when we were talking about the curse of God. So what I saw there, the instructions on how to come closer to the Lord there, is to keep busy. They were a very industrious people. Now, it's kind of hard to do right now because we're still in the middle of like covid times and, um, you know, not everything's open back up. I guess everything's open back up, but only at 50% capacity. And we're still kind of supposed to social distance and stay home. And it's so there's lots of downtime, I feel. And so the big challenge for me is finding ways to stay busy in productive manners. And this past week especially has been really difficult because on top of all the COVID and on top of being home for the summer, because, you know, I'm not at school right now. We're on summer break. So on top of COVID, on top of being at home at school anyways, which tends to be a little isolating and I tend to be bored. um, I also broke one of my toes this week. Like I stubbed it into the doorframe of my closet. And I mean, y'all, it's the dumbest thing. I'm like so mad at myself because I did it to myself, but the thing hurts. Like it hurts and it's all purple and sad. So I've had to put my feet up a lot. So I have been very bored this week. And I keep telling myself, I'm like, I need to find things to keep me busy. And so, you know, I found little things here or there that I can do online. And, you know, I'm putting together lesson plans for next year and, you know, putting together things that I can use in my lessons and trying to get stuff ready for next year to keep my mind busy and to be an industrious people. Because I feel like it's when we get bored that we get into trouble, that we start looking for shows or things like that to fill up the time that maybe don't have the best stuff in it. So I've been looking, I've been trying very hard to be industrious this week. All right, continuing on with what else they did, they were friendly with the Nephites and they did open a correspondence with them. Okay, I can't even imagine how hard this must have been like, hey, so we killed your family and some of your friends, but hey, we want to have a correspondence with you now. Like we want to be friendly and outgoing with you now. And if you know me, if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, I am an introvert, very much an introvert. I don't like people. Home church is the best thing that's ever happened to me because I don't have to socialize. Like getting outside of myself is really hard. And so seeing this right here, this is telling me like, Lexi, it's not about you. And it's not about your comfort zone. It's about helping others. And that's what the gospel is about. It's about reaching out and helping those who need you. And so that was something I started thinking about this week, too, is I was like, oh, how can I reach out and be a little bit less selfish this week, you know? And it says, the curse of God did no more follow them. So the little note that I wrote was underneath this was, keep busy, be friendly, be outward focused, and serve others. And so that's kind of what I learned from that verse. The next little snippet it has us look at is Alma 24, 11 through 19. And it says, and I chose from this one, 18 and 19. We're not going to read the whole thing, just 18 and 19. And this they did, it being in their view a testimony to God and also to man that they would never, that they never would use weapons again for the shedding of man's blood. And this they did, vouching and covenanting with God, that rather than shed the blood of their brethren, they would give up their own lives. And rather than take away from a brother, they would give unto him. And rather than spend their days in idleness, they would labor abundantly with their hands. 
And thus we see that when the Lamanites were brought to believe and to know the truth, they were firm and would suffer even unto death rather than commit sin. And thus we see that they buried their weapons of peace, or they buried their weapons of war for peace. Okay, pause. As an aside, I kind of love verse 19 because you can tell someone's going along and chiseling into the gold plates, you know, and they get to the point where like they buried their weapons of peace. And you can kind of see where they pause and they're like, oh, I didn't mean to say peace. I meant to say war. Um, How can I make this better? Because they don't have an eraser when you're chiseling plates, right? So (laughs) they keep going, or they buried their weapons of war for peace. (laughs) I'm like, bless them. They needed an eraser right there. But, um, so that, that scripture always kind of makes me chuckle a little bit. But the thing that I learned out of those two scriptures was that I need to hold fast to the covenants and promises I've made to my heavenly father, because that's what they did. They held so fast to those promises. They took them so seriously that they would rather die than break that covenant that they had made. Do we take our covenants that seriously? Our baptismal covenants, the commandments, the things that we've promised to our heavenly father that we would do? Do we take them that seriously? You know, and that was something I started thinking about. I'm like, what can I do better? How can I better mourn with those who mourn and comfort those who need to be comforted? You know, with certain cultural events, I guess you could say, um, going on right now in our world, focusing on mourning with those who mourn and comforting those who need to be comforted has been something that's been on the forefront of my mind. How can I fulfill my baptismal covenants? in that way? How can I focus on hearing those who are hurting right now and helping them so they don't hurt again in the future? You know, that's something that I've really been focusing on. The next little snippet, Alma 25, 13 through 16. Now, they did not suppose that salvation came by the law of Moses, but the law of Moses did serve to strengthen their faith in Christ, and thus they did retain a hope through faith unto eternal salvation, relying upon the spirit of prophecy, which spake of those things to come. That was verse 16, by the way. I didn't read the whole thing because we kind of read a lot of it earlier. But what I learned from this one is that I need to look at the commandments and covenants I've made as ways to keep me closer to my Savior, Jesus Christ, and to my Heavenly Father, and to look past just the commandment of love thy neighbor and see what it's really trying to teach me. My neighbor is a child of God. I need to treat my neighbor the same way my Heavenly Father would treat me, you know? And that's so that's what that told me too. It was like look past the commandments and see Christ in them. So that's one of the things I saw from that scripture. All right, the next little snippet is Alma 27, 26 through 30. We're going to read verse 27. And they were among the people of Nephi, and also numbered among the people who were of the church of God. And they were also also distinguished for their zeal towards God and also towards men. For they were perfectly honest and upright in all things, and they were firm in the faith of Christ even unto the end. I love that it says that they were distinguished for their zeal towards God and also towards men. So the love, and not just love, but like zealous love, that means like committed love, um, crazy love that they had for God and for their fellow man. To me, that was very instructive. I'm like, how crazy committed am I to God? How crazy committed am I to my fellow man to making their lives better? You know? So that was something I pondered on a little bit there too. All right. The next section is called God is merciful. And that's beautiful. This whole series of chapters that we read this week is all about the mercy of God. 
And the beauty of the atonement is that his mercy is able to come in and be with us even when the demands of justice demand that, you know, the payment for sin be met, our Savior stepped into those demands and took upon those the demands of justice so that we can have mercy. God is merciful. Here's what Come Follow Me says. While the sins that Ammon and the anti-Nephi-Lehi's had to overcome were likely quite different from anything in your life, we all rely on the mercy of God. What do you find in Alma 24, 7-19 and Alma 26, 17-22 that help you understand his mercy? All right, I'm not going to read those whole long spans of verses, but I am going to read Alma 24, 14. It says, And the great God has had mercy on us, and made these things known unto us, that we might not perish. Yea, and he hath made these things known unto us beforehand, because he loveth our souls, as well as he loveth our children. Therefore, in his mercy, he doth visit us by his angels that the plan of salvation might be made known to us as well as unto future generations. To me, the thing that really stood out was that he loveth our souls. And if you go and you look at the little footnote on souls, it points to the worth of souls in the topical guide. Our souls, who we are, matter to our heavenly father. And they matter so much that there was an atonement made for us. And the mercy of God is that atonement is there because he loves us. He loves our souls. The worth of souls is great in the sight of God. And that's one of the things that helped me understand the mercy. Not only is the mercy there, but why the mercy is there. The mercy is there because he loves us. And like he loves us in a way that we can't even comprehend. He loves us so much, more than we've ever been loved by anyone we know in our life, in our physical life. You know, that's how much he loves us. And so that was kind of mind-blowing to me. Then the next little section it had us focus on, um, I'm going to focus on Alma 2620. And it says, O my soul, almost as it were, fleeth at the thought. Behold, he did not exercise his justice upon us, but in his great mercy hath brought us over that everlasting gulf of death and misery, even unto the salvation of our souls. So to me, that he didn't exercise his judgment upon us, his justice upon us, but in his great mercy, he hath brought us over the everlasting gulf of death and misery. So he reaches out to us. He didn't have to do it. He did it because he loved us. And in his great mercy, he's brought us over. Um, That's just, it's amazing to me to contemplate how much God loves us and his love that he has individually for each one of us. And he knows us as individuals. He knows all all of our imperfections. He knows I'm super impatient. I'm super judgy. And also that sometimes I doubt and I fear. And he knows that about me and he loves me anyways. And he gives me ways to overcome all of that. That's his mercy and that's his love. Come Follow Me continues with, As you read, you might think about these things, the ways you've been invited to repent, your experiences with repentance, and how you have tried to avoid sinning again, and the blessings that have come to you through repentance. When you read the verses in this way, what do you learn about God's mercy in your life? One of the things I was thinking about is, there was a time in my life where I was repenting of something, I don't even remember what, but I was trying to learn more about the atonement in the process, and what the real purpose of repentance was. And I went to 3 Nephi 27, 14 through 15. And it says, And my father sent me that I might be lifted upon the cross. 
And after that, I had been lifted upon the cross that I might draw all men unto me. That as I have been lifted up by men, even so should men be lifted up by the Father to stand before me, to be judged of their works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And for this cause, I have been lifted up. Therefore, according to the power of the Father, I will draw all men unto me, that they may be judged according to their works. What I saw over and over there was that repentance and using the atonement is about drawing us closer to our Heavenly Father. And yes, we will be judged according to our works, but we will be judged by a judge who knows exactly what we went through and exactly what the circumstances were and what it felt like in that moment that we were that we committed that sin. We will be judged with such goodness and mercy. I don't think we can even comprehend what it's going to be like. Um, you know, I've talked before about how sometimes going in for a temple recommend interview, like, would give me anxiety. Like, I would go all the ways. Like, I would be much more harsh on myself than I needed to be and convince myself I was unworthy when really I was perfectly worthy. I was just being, like, super critical of myself. And so sometimes when I think about the judgment seat or when I think about judgment day, I feel like it's going to be super ultra critical, you know, and is nitpicking my life apart, looking for all the ways that I did things wrong. But when I read scriptures like this, that I might draw all men unto me, I think that that judgment day for those of us who follow our Savior and who love our Savior, that is going to be one of the best days of our lives because I think he's going to show us how much he loves us and we are going to understand how much our Heavenly Father loves and knows each and every one of us and how he wants us to be with him. I cannot wait for that day because, you know, we hear about Judgment Day as like something big and awful and scary. I think it's going to be beautiful. Um, it's going to be filled with love and mercy. There's going to be justice there because just, justice has to be served. But there's also going to be forgiveness and love and come unto me, you know, that kind of sentiment too. So I absolutely love that. Um, next section was serving the Lord brings joy. Okay, so despite their different experiences, Ammon and Alma expressed similar feelings about their missionary labors. Consider reading Alma 26 and 29 and comparing them. Okay, so we have Ammon and Alma both saying, I'm so happy with what happened on my mission. I'm so overjoyed. This is amazing. And they're kind of both saying it in these chapters, but we're kind of comparing and contrasting here. Now, I have to tell you, Ever since last week's episode, where we talked about the Arnold Freeberg painting of Ammon looking an awful lot like Matthew McConaughey, all I can see now when I see Ammon and like read his words, I hear Matthew McConaughey's like Texas drawl as I'm reading my scriptures. And that has totally changed the way that I read my scriptures when it comes to Ammon. And so reading the Ammon chapters are very interesting now. Um, and we get to an Alma 26, specifically Alma or Ammon is going on and on about, you know, how glad he is that he could be part of this. Behold, they're in the hands of the Lord of the harvest. Blessed be the name of God. Let us give thanks to his holy name for he doth work righteousness forever. For it, And this is in 9, Alma 26, 9. For if we had not come up out of the land of Zarahemla, these, our dearly beloved brethren, who are so dearly beloved to us, would have been racked with hatred against us, yea, and they would also have been strangers to God. Okay, so if you just take that particular scripture, like, out of context by itself, 
if we had not come up out of the land of Zarahemla, then this would all this good stuff wouldn't have happened. And in 10, Aaron kind of calls him on it and says, Ammon, I fear that thy joy doth carry thee away unto boasting. And 11, Ammon said, I do not boast in my own strength, nor in my own wisdom, but behold, my joy is full. Yea, my heart is brim with joy, and I will rejoice in my God. And I started thinking about that. How do we have joy in the work that we've accomplished without it being prideful? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do we have joy in what God has done? And I started thinking about when we get to the other side and we see people who somehow we've been able to help along the way or in their conversion journey, and they get to the other side and we see that they're still faithful. Like, what joy is going to be there. Like we're going to be so joyful to see those people and so joyful that we had the opportunity to be part of their conversion process. You know, and that's not joy saying like, oh, I'm so amazing. And that's why they're converted. That's like joy in being like, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for letting me have the opportunity to be part of this. And thank you for letting me be an instrument in your hands to bring this person unto you. Like, that's the joy that I see in Ammon. And then we have a very similar exclamation of joy in Alma 29, I think it is. Yes, Alma 29, where Alma is talking about his missionary experiences. In Alma 29.1, he says, Oh, that I were an angel and could have the wish of my heart, that I might go forth and speak with the trump of God, with a voice to shake the earth and cry repentance unto every people. And he's saying, you know, I have so much joy in what I've done with the people I've taught. If only I could just, you know, magnify this and be an instrument in the hand of the Lord, like a megaphone in the hand of the Lord, and literally spread the message to as many people as I can. You know, and that, again, I don't think that's boasting. I think that's Alma being like, I just want to be used in the hands of God. Like, I just want to be here for his work and for him. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Now, I love the words that Alma speaks in this particular chapter. I guess it could be a soliloquy. I don't know. But I I love the words that he uses here. And apparently, I'm not the only one. Because this verse has been set to music. And I found a copy of the music that or song that I want to share with you, Oh, That I Were an Angel. And this particular version is sung by Dallin McAllister. And I happened to across it on YouTube. And then I found that you can actually download it anywhere that you would download music, Amazon, iTunes, all that stuff. But on his YouTube video of this, it mentions, and this was in 2015, that Dallin recorded the CD that this song comes off of. They're all songs about our Savior. But he recorded the CD with all the proceeds from the CD going towards his mission. So he's got a beautiful voice, and he used it to kind of help pay for his mission, which I think is really cool. Um, I reached out to Dallin on Instagram asking him if it was okay that I played this song for you guys. And he was like, yeah, sure, it's fine. And so, I, you know, but it looks like, you know, he had a good mission. He's come back. It looks like maybe he's gotten married recently. So I think he's doing good. But I just think it's so cool that this was kind of part of him preparing to serve a mission that he got to sing this beautiful experience that Alma had. And I hope he got to experience that on his mission a little bit. Now, I will tell you, normally when I play songs here on The Savior Said, you know, they're contemporary Christian songs. And so there's like drums and, you know, lots of different dynamics and catchy little choruses and, you know, power ballads sometimes and stuff like that. Well, this is more in the classical 
like genre of music, I would say. Um, of course, it's just Dallin and a piano, but it reminds me a lot of Handel's Messiah, where he took verses from Isaiah and like just a phrase or two and would like sing the different words like over and over again, kind of. So that's what they've done with this verse from Alma 29 verse 1. And so you're going to hear phrases repeated over and over again. It's just a little bit different from my normal music that I would play on here. It's still absolutely beautiful, and I'm so excited that you get to hear it. It's, again, Oh, That I Were an Angel by Dallin McAllister, and you can download it on any music platform. Oh uh-huh. 
Wasn't that beautiful? I love that song. It's going to get stuck in your head, too, because it gets stuck in my head. I found myself walking around my house being like, oh, that I were an angel. Okay, I'm not going to sing (laughs) because he did such a better job than I did. Um, I kind of sounded like a ghost, I think. Anyways, I think our assignment this week was really good. I really liked the questions that Come Follow Me asked, and I loved... Just the ways that it helped me come closer to my Savior. I know there wasn't a lot of funny little stories and stuff that I like usually like to share with you guys. It was a whole lot more doctrine focused, but that there was just such really good, rich, beautiful doctrine this week, and I'm so glad that I had the chance to share it with you guys. So anyways, I hope you guys have an awesome week. I hope that you find your weapons of rebellion that you can bury in the ground to come closer to our Savior, and you can identify those and figure out what they are and put them away so that you can come closer to our Savior. I hope you find that this week, and I hope it gives you peace. I hope you have a peaceful, loving week, guys, and I will see you here next week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.